You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. You're going to love today's episode topic, as well as the guest, Dr. Yuve Ferguson. She's an associate professor of marketing at Howard University School of Business. With almost 20 years of professional and academic experience, Yuve is a lifelong lover of education and a fierce champion for inclusivity in all endeavors that impact the professional growth of future business leaders, our Gen Zs. We got introduced to Yuve by her husband, John Ferguson, who is CHRO at NASCAR, and he was recently on the podcast. Confirming our suspicions, you may admit at their dinner table, debates can get very energetic over there. Her research interests focus on representation of Blacks, Millennials, and Gen Z in advertising and their consumer behavior in the marketplace. Her consulting interests focus on partnering companies with universities to drive experiential learning in the classroom and build pathways for diverse candidates to have access to amazing career opportunities. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Yuve discuss attributes of the Gen Z generation and what differentiates them from millennials and Gen X. What does Gen Z look for in the workplace and where is the line in the sand for things they can't stand? How to best communicate feedback, resolve conflicts, motivate and connect with Gen Z and strategies to attract and lead Gen Z to become the best version of themselves. At one point, Yuve said that instead of focusing on long-term commitment from staff, employers should have the mindset with a new hire that we want your best for as long as is best for you. And we really, really love that. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today we have Yuve Ferguson, who's the Associate Professor of Marketing at Howard University School of Business. Yuve, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be joining you. Well, you know, I was, re- we were just saying, you know, I, uh, I've got to know your, your, your other half. You're the better half of the other half. Absolutely. Uh, John Ferguson, we, we've had him on the podcast and he was singing your praise and said, you know, if you are not a complete idiot, you'll have my wife on who will, will, is incredibly knowledgeable on some topics. So I was, I was, one, it's great to meet you and we're really excited to, uh, to have you on today. Same. I'm really excited to be joining you. And, you know, I, I like to think of myself as the better half, but really he is my better half. Like, I feel Ooh. like he gives me a great perspective um, on how actually culture is implemented in the workplace. So as much as I see and pour into my students, I get to see the back end of the result through him. So, well, you know, it's interesting. Like, I feel like the dinner table wants to be very interesting with you both, I, I assume you get in some very deep, uh, incredible, dis- and maybe sometimes heated debates about stuff. Absolutely. Uh, when, you know, quiet quitting was all the rave and talking about that, we had some really interesting perspectives. And, you know, it, I think we both grew from being able to talk out different perspectives and different sides of the coin. Um, him being a, a, an HR leader and then me having former students and students entering the workforce and their experience in that space as the employee. Um, really interesting. And we've grown from those conversations. That's great. And so, so we've done a formal introduction, but give us your background. You know, I know you mentioned check and balancing, getting people ready for the workforce, but getting the companies ready. I love that. So just give us a high level overview of kind of what got you to where you are today. So sounds good. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in marketing from Howard University. And then I went off to American University for my um, master's in strategic communication, worked in advertising for a few years and realized that I really have a desire to help people. 
um, and to be giving back and pouring into others. So I decided to get a PhD in advertising from the University of Texas at Austin and went back to my alma mater, Howard University, um, to start a teaching career in academia. And, you know, after all of these years of pouring into students and um, preparing these future business leaders, I came to the epiphany that it's it can't be a one-sided activity. It has to be this 360. And I found this new passion for pouring in to the workplace to make sure that there is a great workplace for these future business leaders to enter into. So this culture has to be set both by preparing students um, and future employees, but then also making sure there's connectivity between the workforce that they're going to be going into and the culture that they desire. So, so you know, because it is, and there's a focus on Gen Z, correct? Absolutely. I, I so love one, 20 year olds. <laughs> yeah. So I want, I'll get back to that, but, but just quickly, how do you do the second part of what you just talked about? How do you ensure that companies are ready to receive these individuals? That sounds like, like a really big uh, undertaking. So my last post, my last administrative post um, with the university was an, as an assistant dean for impact and engagement. And really what that allowed me to do was manage our corporate partnerships. Um, and I got to work with companies that wanted to engage with students, wanted to engage with a diverse population of students. And the automatic, you know, easy answer was, oh, I'm going to come and do a scholarship or maybe I'll come and do a case competition of some sort. And after really meeting with these companies, I realized that there's such broader ways. And if you look at the span of some of the projects that I've gotten a chance to do, you know, I'm convinced that companies wanting to pour into students is not does not have to be that simplistic and actually can be meaningful on both parts and change the culture of a company for the better and change the experience of students for the better by um, implementing experiential learning opportunities. Interesting. And so why, why the focus on Gen Z? Was that just your student base? Like why that, why that category of humans? So they are one of my primary targets right now, but not the only. Um, and it's because I, I engage with Gen Z as 20-year-old students in right. undergrad at my university. Um, but also and, really- you work- start, can, you, can you tell us really quickly, what just, just for the listeners, can you describe the Gen Z? Says I, I get mixed up with X, Z, I, I, and millennials. Oh, perfect. So that's actually my, that's my research interest right now is generational cohorts. So I'll kind of start a little older than the boomers, Gen, you know, generation, uh, they're called generation grace sometimes, but we'll call them baby boomers um, for right now. And baby boomers are about 1950s to the 1960s. They're really the babies of the, um, the babies of the people coming back from World War II. And so they are just leaving the, the workforce. Then we have Gen X and Gen X is the late 1960s to 1970s. And again, everything is kind of fluid. Gen Xers have, you know, they're in leadership at most companies at this point, um, really high level uh, employees. Then we have millennials. Millennials are about 1980 to about 2000. And we have Gen Z, which is coming into the workforce right now. Interesting. So I would, I'm 1979. So I'm an X, right? You're, it depends. So you're a cusper. And so you could be, depending upon how you engage with technology, what your experiences were like, you're probably what they call a zennial or a millennial, an old millennials, with, what I call myself. 
<laughs> I'm good. That's great. And so, so let's get into the Z, you know, that, so they're entering the workforce. So the age group again, so what was it? What was, sorry, what was the um, age group range of, of a Gen Z roughly? Oh, born around 98, 99, 2000. So okay. they are again, the 20 somethings that have just entered the, um, the workforce the pandemic is going to be a huge influencing factor on their experience as employees. So interesting. I got it now. And, and you hear lots and, and I'll tell you lots of complaints about that demographic, right? Like you just hear it. And it's like these people now. And, and um, I, you know, I, I find my experience so far with that group. Um, one thing that, that seems to be key is they want a seat at the table, right? Yes. That seems obvious. They, they, um, and I don't know. And I, look, everyone's different. It's hard to 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 blanket something, even with with a, a complete generation. But I've I've heard lots of stories, and maybe notice a little bit of I want a voice at the table, and maybe not looking because you know the way of past was you worked hard to get a voice at the table. That's changed. To, to, you know, is that right? And what are you seeing? And what are your thoughts? Millennials broke the mold with that. So millennials were, again, their experience in coming into the workforce was heavily tainted by 9-11. And so, you know, they saw the world change and, you know, how access to spaces changed. Um, but then also thinking about how they grew up. And I'm going to start with millennials and then run to Gen Z's to tell you kind of the change there. But um, millennials, when they came, uh, when they were growing up, previous generations, when they, did, when they played t-ball, you didn't win, you got to come back next year. Millennials were coddled and, you know, you played t-ball, you didn't win, you still got an award banquet and you got a certificate. And they are, like, millennials are used to having, you know, an A-plus for effort for showing up. Right. But still have some resiliency. The next generation, Gen Z, less resilient than millennials. They have always been able to voice their opinion. Things have been scheduled and regimented for them and there's no boundaries for them. Um, and that explain that changes a lot about how they experience wanting to have a seat at the table. So, they so, want to plus for effort. So don't want rigid. What are they looking for? It sounds like they're not looking for a rigid environment of put me in the box and I'll check uh, and and I press one, two, three, four, and then I do it again and again. That that's done for Gen Gen Z. Or am I wrong? It's to a degree. So they actually like to be very clear about what their task is. They don't necessarily like ambiguity, but they want to be able to impact anything that they have purview over. So if they see that the company is headed in a direction, they want a voice. They do not believe in being um, held down. <laughs> their, their voices must be heard. Um, they are they are val they are valuable. They believe in themselves. Um, I also love Gen Z because they are unapologetic in their commitment to their value set. They do not care how much money you promise them they want a place where they can feel a part of the culture that they have a voice and that their uh, the activities of the company are in alignment with their values now what's what's your um what what's your guidance to companies that um may not have as progressive of a culture and aren't ready for that that they are like look that's not how it works around here they need that they need that workforce that you know they're, they need some younger folks at the table fine but that that um, their view is, or, or sorry, the internal friction between, look, I've been here for 20 years and I haven't had a voice. And so why should you have a voice? Like, like that's got to be messy too. How, how, what's your guidance for companies that, that have a very mixed, they've got boomers in there, 
that view things a certain way? How do they all work together well? So, and again, I may just be team millennial and Gen Z here, but I think that those that companies are going to have to change their approach. It's just a different group that's coming into the market and they are relentless. Gen Z would rather stay at home in their mom's basement than come to your, your job and not be happy. And if you want to have the innovative voices of the younger generation, which we're all going to need because every company has to have, you know, a, a pipeline of, of employees coming in, you're going to have to change. And companies felt the same way about millennials, though, honestly, and companies have changed. They've allowed for more flexibility. And that same amount of flex is going to have to happen with Gen Z entering. And and is that is the want and need for flex the reason why the label in some cases has been this entitlement? Is that what's happening? Because there is a bit of that label that I meant to say that earlier, you know, I've, I've certainly, you know, through discussions heard, geez, that's such an entitled uh, group of humans. Like, what are your yeah. thoughts? Or is it just because we're viewing as we want things different? We want to be heard. That's entitlement. What are your, what are your thoughts? That's a tough one because I do think that uh, again, Gen Z particularly, but millennials throw them in the bucket too, have a sense of entitlement about what is owed and potential to them. But again, previous generations saw their parents go to work, have long careers, 30-year careers, get a nice pension and go home, you know, to retire. Millennials were the first group that did not see that as a path for themselves. And it wasn't because that wasn't what they desired. It was because the world changed. They saw their parents that may have spent 15, 20 years at a company get laid off. And so millennials are not loyal to companies. And Gen Z would care less about loyalty <laughs> to the company. So how how do you find balance between a company looking for loyalty or is it just look just be ready to get the best out of someone for a 2 year period like what what are your what's your back to counsel for the company how do you embrace that that non-loyalty that people might be looking for and how do you work with it You hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head that it, companies are going to have to change their perspective and as much as we'd like to think that you know once we bring somebody in we treat them well and we can keep them forever um, my husband came up with a phrase that, you know, based off our conversations that I absolutely love to share of his, which is it's um, you want to be a company that's a great place to work and a great place to be from. So you want to make sure that you, there's some people at your at your company that you're going to try to hold on to. But if they do leave, they're spreading the gospel of your ways of management. They may even come back if you're that great of a place. But you go to grow, you find new skills, you're able to stretch those skills in new places. And hopefully that just brings innovation in a circle that's not stagnated in one company, in one office, that person stays there forever. It's interesting. My, my view is, is that actually, is that I don't really, um, like I, I kind of view it as, as a leader, our job is to bring out the best in someone and find their path, whether inside of my business or outside. And to help them find that, you know, and so I've had a lot of discussions with individuals that would be in, in probably more of the millennial category than Gen Z, but Gen Z too, to say, look, if it's not free, let me find you a new home, like it, it's okay. And so one thing maybe I've tried to do strategically to combat that is have open and transparent conversations on the interview on onboarding, you know, and publicly to say this isn't going to be for everybody. And, and it may not be forever for everybody. Is that a right approach or, you know, how, how should we be communicating that for alignment purposes with, with that demographic? 
Absolutely. Like, I think that making sure that the, that uh, this demographic realizes that we want the best out of you for however long it's best for you. Um, and honestly, companies need to use technology and, and all of the tools at their avail right now to make sure that one person doesn't stop the show, because this is a transient employee population that is in the workforce and coming into the workforce. And so you shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel when somebody leaves and somebody new comes in playbooks. But, oh, please. Right, sorry. I keep going. So just thinking about playbooks and having things like manuals for tasks that are repetitive. Um, the, the goal is to make sure that one person does not stop and hold up the show, which previous generations um, of employees, that was a huge issue that, you know, there was one person that held on to this and it was in their desk and that should not be a thing anymore. So it's interesting. I, I love that. So I'm thinking out loud on the strategy to combat that. And what I think is, because what you're saying is, look, don't allow a millennial to to, to hold the keys to something because they're probably not going to be there for two years and you're going to be stuck holding the bag, right? And so is one strategy to say, okay, let's ensure we have very simple systems and process for continuity, but have them build it. Like, don't just get in your job, build the system, build the process. And so <laughs> our, our our strategy internally on that, we have this thing called task mapping. And, and I'd love to talk to you about it and give me your thoughts, poke at it and tell me if you think it's good, bad, ugly, whatever. So task mapping is our internal, I, I, I'll, I'll call it like, um, it would be our version of like a standard operating procedure, which I can't stand these, these big manuals. But task mapping really says, here's the key tasks, the ongoing tasks in the company. Here's who's responsible for those tasks. Here's who else knows how to do those tasks. And from there, we say, does that task, you label it kind of green or red? Does it give you energy or drain your energy? So if it's your primary responsible task, we want to ensure it's gaining your energy. Then we get into, you know, um, how many hours that takes you to do the task roughly, what is the outcome of the task and what is the system behind the task? So there would be like, you could click a link that might just be to a, a manual or a, a checklist. So we've done that for continuity to ensure that we are getting alignment from task and that continuity. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That sounds amazing. This is my first time hearing of that, but I think that more companies need to adopt this idea. And then also it helps with retention and moving people all along because if you're assigning somebody who is like this, I hate it. This is draining me, but I like this other task that the next person hates because it's draining them. You can real you can rearrange roles. It can be you. It doesn't have to be this role always does this thing, even if the person previously loved it and you hate it, and you can mix and match with people around you. That's amazing. Well, thanks, and yeah, we, we're constantly doing that because I and, and I feel like that generation subscribes to success path versus yes. career path. Am I right? It is. And, and so, so that's our version of like, what is successful to you? You can move around and make sure that things align with your task, being very kind of thinking outside the box on it. Um, my, qu my question is, how important are titles to that, uh, uh, to that generation? John, uh, um, I had him on our advisory council this week, and we had the discussion about titles. What about titles for that generation? Is it important to them? Very. It's almost like getting an A+. Plus. And this is a group, millennials and Gen Z, that are driven by checking boxes of like, I did it. Can I get an A? Can I have, again, playing T-ball? Can I have an award even if I wasn't the best? They are judging themselves based off of the grade level 
that they're achieving. And so I have seen a company explore having a lot more levels. So you might be an associate business manager, an assistant business manager, a business manager, just to break up this manager level, if you will, to give the psychological impact needed to, to incentivize the younger generation. Of but isn't there, excuse me, isn't there a conflict, you know, with multiple layers, multiple titles, and then I'm just thinking of the entry level, having a voice at the table, doesn't it say, well, you don't get a voice until you get out? Like, isn't there, don't those two things maybe compete or not? No, because honestly, it again, depending upon the culture set at the company, those titles shouldn't dictate your uh, your voice or your the volume of your voice. Um, right. Again, the students that are coming in as interns want to be able to talk to the CEO and they want a voice and a space for that. Some companies have implemented things like town halls um, where everybody gets a chance to chat or um, have a voice. And so there's ways, again, it might, even if it's a psychological trick, if you will, to make people feel heard. Um, and those other, uh, those titles is really just, again, psychological wins or checkpoints that incentivize employees to stay at this, in this generation. So, so how does a company start to think broadly about recruiting that generation? Again, this is a, a group that is more concerned about the value alignment of a company that they're going to go to than anything else. The company does not, or the students don't necessarily run into interviewing spaces and look for the company with the highest salary. Although salary can be impactful. If I, if I had to judge nine times out of 10, Gen Z will go to a company that pays slightly less and has value alignment. And so companies need to start thinking about ways that they can touch uh, future employees. That doesn't just mean as a, uh, as a consumer. Not every company or a brand has the ability to have brand you know, awareness within that population. Everybody's not a Google. Um, it may be a company that's a manufacturing company that we use their products every day unbeknownst to us as consumers. Um, the students are going to want to see some type of value alignment. Do they give to the give back to the community? Do they participate in activities uh, and make themselves aware to the generation um, that they're hoping to employ next? Doing that and doing activities with the students um, in a way that feels not so um what's the word uh that just transactional not, transactional that's per a perfect word like it doesn't feel like it's performative um or transactional in nature but it's not you just coming to the career fair it's you coming and speaking about a career opportunity um to a student population or doing a training about a certification that they may not have had access to if you didn't bring it to their attention so it's interesting based on that i believe we've we've really gone back to the drawing board and how we laid out our ads. So high level, you know, with Vita, we'd say, look, here's, here's our purpose. Here's our mission. Here's what the company stands for. And then we've kind of gone to, because the traditional ad was, you know, here's a blurb about the company. Here's a criteria. Here's the, you know, here's a criteria to meet. Here's the background you need. Here's the potentially compensation and salary, like was always at the bottom of benefits. We've really kind of re-engineered that to say, Here's the company purpose mission has to live in there. Here's uh, the here's what your experience will be like. Here's what you'll get from this organization. Here's what it feels like to work on the team, and here's some um, 
you know, here's some references from our team that you can look up on LinkedIn and talk to them before you even interview. Here's a podcast of someone we've interviewed on our team to talk about the culture. And then we get into the benefits and, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting, like our benefits, I think fit well with, with um, Gen Z. So we would be very progressive, you know, unlimited vacation with a mandatory once a month life day to shut your phone off. Right. Um, we have health and wellness allowances, but also personal fitness. So twice a month, we have a, um, a kind of personal uh, life coach four times a year, um, home cleaning service, you know, just, just very progressive things that, that are actually, actually, I'll say, you know, I think that you need, you can't just have the foosball table. It's how you treat people too, but, but we're trying to provide kind of unique benefits that, that would speak um, and just speak about the culture and speak to, we care about you as an individual. Like, you know, what the message we're trying to send to millennials and, and really everybody is we view as an employer that are, you know, our, Commitment is to bring out the best in you. And for that, we want the best of you here at work. Is that a fair exchange? And are we getting the message? What do you think about that layout? I, I, that sounds amazing. Um, my one caveat would be, this is a group that wants it, forget microwave, they want it instantaneously. And so if you're writing it down in pamphlets or in brochures about what careers with your company could offer, you may be messing the mark with this group who has a very short attention span. The video, um, video, mm. make it easy, make it easy. Have maybe if you have interns in the summer, have them do TikTok day in the lives of certain employees around your company. That's bite size. Those type of things are what this group is going to go look for. Who do I, who can I go and see a peek into their shoes of their experience? And, and what are the social platforms that they're on and not on? They love TikTok right now. TikTok is actually becoming one of the uh, the world's top search engines, and particularly amongst this group. This group is over-indexing on forgetting about going to Google. They're going to TikTok to find wow. important answers. Same thing with YouTube. They're, uh, they're not as millennials were YouTubers um, going to YouTube to watch videos. This group is going to TikTok because it's a maximum of 30, uh, three minutes. And they want the short version of it. Show me a recipe, make it quick. I don't want to watch you make it. Um, wow. Day of life, get ready with me. This is the food I'm eating. They just want to see a snippet. That's that's really interesting. And, and, you know, I think that's a blind spot for our organization, not just on how we go to market for employment, but even for our customers. We just, we... And, you know, I'm probably guilty of, oh, is that a fad? You know, you see these things going in and out, you know, and, and we'd be guilty of that, of not kind of leaning into these. Uh, and and it's like, I, I feel feel like we're always trying to keep up. We're still trying to figure out Instagram. And then it's like, oh, and then there's this, and then Snapchat. No, that's kind of gone now. Like we, I feel a little bit like that, you know? The good the good thing is that it's more about the parameters than it is the, the um, actual app or social media platform. TikTok may go away, but if you notice, uh, Instagram has doing is doing reels now. It's still the same concept of right. wanting bite size information in a videography form or a video format. Same thing with YouTube. YouTube is actually moving to I can't remember the name right now, but YouTube is moving to a shortened video format as well because yeah, shorts. Noticing. They call it shorts, I shorts. think. Right? That's yeah. it. Shorts. I watch those. <laughs> And there, I mean, everybody's realizing, including millennials and Gen Xers, attention spans post-pandemic, if you will, gone. Our our attention spans are gone. So, so that 
also leads me to think that the content once someone's the training content, all that, that means short bursts, short bursts, short bursts, you know? Short so, so is that is that how companies are investing in in in, in pivoting internally? Talk about some of that to 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 adhe not adhere, but to to mold to that group. So that is a perfect um, example. Doing trainings that are uh, tactile for your job, short bursts of information, or really experiential hands-on um, training modules. So the all-day retreats, where you sit at the coffee table, or you sit at these tables at the long tables and there's somebody in the front giving you an experience or giving you a lecture is gone. That is not the way to get to this group. They're going to zone out anyway. So if you want them to learn something, doing something short or giving them the resource to go and be able to find the answer. I really loved when you were talking about the playbooks um, or having a resource guide of some sort, that is a better fit for this group. I do think that there are still going to be some some examples of times where it doesn't make sense to have a short video and that's okay. They're not, this is not a group that does not want to be successful, but everything can't be a three hour meeting for them. So the challenge for organizations, I'm sure you're seeing this is, is, you know, you're, you're going to have, if you still have some boomers, you've got long form reading. That's mm -hmm. they probably don't like the short videos. It's hard to, to you know, so you kind of have to be dynamic internally and provide different ways of, of presenting the same content. Absolutely. And I think that that is going to come with, you know, experience and, and understanding who your audience is. There are a lot of industries that the boomers have said, all right, that's it. I'm retiring and I'm moving on. So there's several industries that, I mean, boomers have exited the industry. Um, they are They are 60 plus at this point. Um, so, you know, we're talking about Gen X, who is not afraid of technology, millennials who are natives of technology and uh, Gen Z, which I mean, it's their it's their left arm. They can't seem to work without technology. And you have some examples, I believe, or some stories, uh, I believe, on maybe Yum, HubSpot, GM and how they're embracing that. Some of the neat things they are doing. Can you share some of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, so again, just talking about how companies are, are trying to find innovative ways to really engage populations. And it, to, to be fair, it's not singularly for the purpose of recruiting. A lot of it is in, you know, having a DNI impact. It's making sure that uh, they're thinking about the next generation of employees and business partners. Um, and then really just giving back and doing the right thing so that's, that the next generation of employees or the workforce of tomorrow is really prepared to come into their their um, their ranks. I can start with General Motors. So I've worked with General Motors for a few years on a project with students for my senior marketing majors, where General Motors um, would give the class um, three thousand dollars to be able to host an event on class. I mean, on campus, and so it gave students a chance to not just talk up, talk about marketing and promotions in an abstract way. Most companies would be highly afraid to let 20 year olds manage their brand for a purpose of one event. Um, there were a few guidelines, but actually very light when it came to their, their ability to touch the brand. And so this was part of their foundation. If this was charity work, I guess, if you if you know, if you boil it down, this was not an, an activity that was singular, singularly um, tied to a DNI goal or singularly tied to um, recruiting. Um, but the impact of that was both. 
students got a chance to host events on campus, bring a car to campus, um, promote the newest, greatest, latest vehicle, um, come up with research and understand their audience members, which were their peers, and what would attract them to this particular model of a car. Um, Interesting. Hugely impactful. I mean, the marketing majors were looking forward to this, um, where they got a chance to get outside of the book and create ads and create an event and manage an event and do the promotion and do the social media. And actually, they um, in the last several years, we moved into influencer marketing, where they were able to identify influencers on campus to help them promote their event. And it would be a one hour or hour and a half event during the class period where they got to bring the actual vehicle to campus and, you know, use their imaginations. Um, they saw their, uh, the amount of, the number of students applying for internships and full-time opportunities go up. Um, they saw higher interest in companies or students that were interested in that brand for their own vehicle purposes go up. And we measured all this. The students got to do research and measure this. So that is a great way to build awareness of a company's opportunities and just goodwill with the student in this population. Yuve, I wonder, I wonder if you, so, so, so let's say you provide those things, right? So all the things we're talking about, flexibility, a voice at the table, uh, short bursts of, of content, you're just, you're speaking their language. Do you think that you can then build some loyalty? Maybe they say, look, I'm going to live here for a while or not. Is it just like, look, this is just part of my journey. I know that's not a two plus two equals four, but it feels like you, if you create this environment, they really like, and, and, and I guess, so my question too is, I always say, and I'm curious if this, if, if this, if you could pick this apart for this generation or if it, if, or if it still stands that for anyone, and I, I go very broadly to enjoy their work. So let's just say they're paid a fair wage. Let's take that off the table. They're happy with the wage. Then I always call it, you need this triangle. They, individuals need to really enjoy their leadership. Mm-hmm. They need to enjoy the culture and the team and what they do. If they have all three, you're you, you're at home. You, you you're probably going to stick around. Does that does that does that run for for uh, Gen Zs? I don't think it's a formula with them. Unfortunately, I think that they are a lot more fluid when it comes to how they see their lives and and how they are willing to up you know, uproot their their situation to change how they're feeling or to change what they're experiencing. They have not hit, you know, the the part of their lives where they are they have kids and they, you know, have mortgages. So that may change. But right now this group isn't is not set on a path that will lead them to stay anywhere. Now they they may. They may be firmly rooted, but this is a group that is that is um, more likely to see the world as a smaller place that, and that they can go any place and experience anything at any time. They're unafraid of motion and movement. And you saw that general increase from Gen X to millennials to this group. And again, even millennials who everybody was afraid coming into the workforce, once they started having mortgages and kids, got a little bit more firmly planted places. But uh, compared to previous generations, Gen uh, or millennials, rather, compared to Gen Z and Gen X, or excuse me, compared to Gen X, are still more likely to be mobile. And right now, Gen Z is likely to be in motion. I don't think you can, as a company, plan to keep Gen Z in place. 
You want them to stay. You want them to grow. You want them maybe to even come back, but they are likely to be open to moving. So it's interesting. I was just thinking, and I'm as you were talking, I was reflecting back to those who were fit in the category, maybe stuff that I've seen. And again, I don't think, you know, I don't think everybody fits in that category, right? Like, like I, I, some Gen Zs are going to be a certain way somewhere, but you know, but, but you can still generalize. And, and I'm wondering if the, the piece out of those three that I mentioned that may not be important to that group that maybe I've seen is the team and culture. And the reason I say that, and I'm curious your thoughts, is maybe the sense of belonging is important to them, but not at work. That, that, that they belong to, to groups on Snapchat and groups over here. That's their sense of belonging. It's not really, they're, like I have, I've had some employees that we've noticed just didn't engage. And we thought they, they're not interested. They're, they're not interested in, because here we are kind of, um, during the pandemic too, it was how do we, 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 we increase our sense of belonging to get people to build relationships. And we certainly saw not a very small portion for us, and we're not a large company, but a few individuals that you could just see, they just weren't interested. And I wonder if it's that piece of team and culture that look, they want to be fe- treated fairly, but they're not looking to make friends here. They've got their friend groups and think, is that right? Or what are, what are your thoughts as I'm speaking? Belonging is very complex. Um, there's this great work done out of Berkeley. They have a um, a playbook for workplace belonging. Belonging looks different by generations. And so they do want to belong. Gen Z wants to belong at work. It just looks different. They are used to engaging with their peers digitally in a way that's not the same as millennials and Gen X. I like to think that Gen X and Gen and millennials um, like to come into the room and win. Like they almost have like reality TV performances in their head. And that is not the experience of Gen Z. This is one of the big differentiating factors between them. They can literally have class friends that they don't speak to physically in class. Now they wow. follow each other online. They follow each other on social media. Um, they're friends, you know, virtually. But when they come together, it doesn't look to a millennial and a Gen Xer that they are friends because they're not necessarily chitty chatting. That's not that's not how they operate. They are able to build deeper connections in their viewpoint in this digital virtual space where belonging to us feels like I have a water cooler buddy or I have somebody to run off to coffee with. And for them, it may be that I have something like belonging to them means I have somebody to side chat with and, you know to complain with <laughs> virtually using my thumbs. Yeah, we've seen that. And that, you know, we've, we've had actually had that same experience, which has been bad, actually, like this clicky. We've, we've had some experience with that. It was like, wow, well, whoa, because I think the challenge from our viewpoint was, how do we get you to a place where you can share that, you know, face-to-face, human-to-human, have a open dialogue where maybe that wasn't fair game for them. They just said, that's not, I'm not going to get there. I, I don't communicate like that. I post online broadly with my voice on what I'm upset about, but I don't, I don't really go to the source. Is that accurate? That is 100%. And they're just a different group. So two things I'm curious about, how do you, what, what is the best practice for leading that generation for those listening that are leading that? What, what are some things that we should, should be doing and maybe shouldn't be doing from a leadership standpoint? Embracing them for who they are. And I think that as much as, you know, every previous generation would love to take something that's different about a group and tell them that that's not the right way to do it, realizing that if 
it may be a matter of coming down or lowering the water level to where they are. And so if belonging to them be, is, is okay and is embraced digitally, there may be ways to, again, we want to pull them out and get to know people in real life, but that's not their comfort zone. So you may have the person who is great on paper. And then when you get them in a room, you're like, this is flat. They are comfortable in that flat space. And so I don't think you can make, you know, a 20 year old, 24 year old completely change who they, who they present as in person, but really embracing where they feel comfort. And obviously if they, if they look great on paper, there's something there. And it's just a matter of reaching them where they're comfortable and belonging to them where they're at. Exactly. And belonging for them can be more, more virtual spaces. It can be, you know, more relaxed spaces where they don't have to feel the, 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 the pressure to turn on, which Gen X and millennials feel. They don't feel that. They don't have to turn on and perform for them to feel a part of a group. Got it. And my, well, my next question, which, which again, I'm like, okay, meet them where they're at. So I'm thinking, and I'm going to, what's my next question about feedback? How do they want to receive feedback? And of course, as you're talking, I'm thinking, so if, if there's conflict, if I notice conflict, cause I love tough conversations and I've, you know, I've got systems and tools that I think are quite helpful to have how to communicate. Um, but I was thinking, what am I going to text them? Be like, Hey, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to DM them and be like, we need to chat about yesterday. Like what, what, what is the best way to deliver feedback? Is that a joke or is that serious? So again, they are just not good with ambiguity. And so if they know what the parameters are that they're being judged off of in advance, and then you show them metrics, they understand that very clearly. Subjectivity with this group is it, it falls on deaf ears and it feels unfair and it feels, you know, like I'm being picked on. And it's not just them, it's millennials too. But the more specifics you can give around why you're talking to them or why there is a, a gap between what is expected and what is being provided, the better chance you have of talking to this group. It can't be, I don't feel like you're, you're I don't feel like you're a fit does not work well with this group. They're so going to know you didn't turn in the 12 things that you were supposed to turn in. So, so I think I've got it. Um, and I'm thinking back to a situation, there was a conflict between two individuals. I could not for the life of me, get them in the same room to have a deep discussion. It was not going to happen. Like they'd just leave the company before they were going to come and have a discussion. Yeah. And they were in that generation. How do you, so how do you deal with internal conflict with two people that are in that generation? It's like, I, I actually don't even know the answer. I can't even think I'm, I'm going to tap out right now. Help me. Yeah, same. I mean, like, it's, I mean, people are complex. So, you know, their specific issue depends on what the issue is, but generally speaking, this is a group that if you are able to give them specifics of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in advance, meaning interview person a, person a sent an email with all caps and it offended person B. If person A knew that that's not acceptable in this culture, they all know where they lie in the, in the scope of what went wrong here. So I think what I'm hearing you say is create very specific rules, which I hate, but you're saying that's helpful. It's helpful to have those parameters, unfortunately, with this group. And mm. obviously I'm being facetious about you can't send yeah. capital letters. But no, I know. I understand though. I understand. Giving guidance, I'm going to call them. I'll, I'll use guidance, right? Absolute culture guidance. I love the idea of like having, you know, times for people to talk about like what is important in this 
culture? What is what is a no in this culture? What is a yes? What is a green? What's a red? Because it's funny because this generation as I'm thinking has no problem going online to a thousand followers and uh, shooting a video and releasing it and saying, this thing happened to me at work. I'm upset. Maybe I don't name names, but I push it out there and I give my opinion and I'm loud as hell. But to have a one-on-one chat with this person that, that, that I had the conflict, that is not happening. Like there is a, there's a lack of, I'm probably being harsh now, but I feel like there's a skill that's needed. That's going to be tough for that group to become leaders or, or, or not. Feels like it. It's going, I think that the interpersonal piece is going to make it hard for them to be leaders Mm. of previous generations, but not. So for all you millennials out there, sorry, all you Gen Z's (laughs) learn how to to have tough conversations. You will smoke your competition and you'll lead everything. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Honestly, if, if I had advice for Gen Z about how to win in today's workforce, it would be go against the grain of your generation and come in and be able to be performative a bit. And I say that lightly, but it's kind of the truth of being able to come in and win a room. And by performative, I mean that. I mean, being able to come in, in person, greet people, shake hands, win the room with your conversation, um, build up those interpersonal skills that a lot of Gen Z are lacking. You will be at the top. Love it. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, Before we wrap, what else are you thinking about challenges, thoughts, opportunities that we haven't discussed today that you think would be interesting for the listeners? I, I really would love for any of your um, listeners that that are working in corporate spaces to, to make sure that they are investing in opportunities to engage with students and engage with the, you know, the workforce of tomorrow. I promise you it will result in a tenfold increase in applications, goodwill, affect about your company. And as much as we'd like to think that, you know, having diverse populations of of candidates interested in our opportunities is a plus, it is not just a plus, it is a mandate. You cannot be an innovator if you do not have diverse populations of employees coming to your company or at least experience, or at least wanting to experience um, being a part of your employee base. And it's not, you You cannot win in the next century if you do not embrace innovation and diversity. So I hope that people would use parts, just parts, just pieces of their budget to do things that aren't solely aligned with, I'm going to a career fair, but things that are generationally impactful. One of the projects I worked on um, recently was with Young Brands and an amazing leader, their head of global franchising, Wanda Williams, um, came to Howard and, and really worked on, built out this beautiful project where we had students from the University of Louisville and Howard, graduate students, and brought them into a franchise ownership accelerator where we were able to teach these graduate students because they had a little skin in the game um, or able to have skin in the game able to teach them about franchising as a business model. And then they've gotten a chance to compete in a Shark Tank style competition. Like that's life-changing. It's, that is the type of impact you want to have. It's not the apprentice where you, you win a, you win a business, but it's giving you the skills and giving you access to a business that they didn't have before. The students were interested in opportunities to not only own franchising afterward, own franchises afterward with Yum, but with other people in in that industry. And then they were also interested in corporate opportunities with franchisees. Um, 
well, excuse me, franchisors. And so that is important. I have two other things. I was just thinking before you go, if you don't mind, two, two other questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and one's a clarifying question. Is, is Gen Z, are they competitive or not? They are, but it's honestly with themselves. They compare themselves to other people in an unrealistic way. So they look at social media and they see that their peers are on a boat in Miami and they wonder why I can't afford it. But they're more competing with themselves of like, I have to get to that than they are hating on, if you will, the person that they see on their videos. They're very congratulatory of people who they admire and that they see doing well but then they feel a sense of competition and beat themselves up over where they should be. So I feel like now I I have the answer potentially to my question, which was how do you motivate them? I feel like based on that answer, you motivate them by um, uh, exactly what you said is is by working to to get better results by competing uh, with their last results with themselves versus peers. Absolutely. Okay. The motivator is do better for you. You did, you get 10, hit 12 next time, do better for yourself. Okay, great. That's, that's, that's great information. Last one, Um, back to the office, obviously still going on, you know, how do leaders, companies, corporations entice this group that, 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 that at least culturally they want people back at the office. What are the strategies to get the Gen Z's back to the office? So surprisingly, I'm, I'm, Again, this is anecdotal. I'm seeing more millennials focused on not wanting to go back to work. Gen Z wants to be outside. They want to be in the workplace. And so I don't think that, you know, and I think they like the flexibility of it, but also making sure that when they come, that there are opportunities to do something new, learn something new. When they come in, maybe there is a, you know, a chance to do a certification or some type of skill building. Um, I loved one of the things that you said um, that you had uh, like having things for your house as a benefit. I think you said cleaning services. Yep. Like maybe there's some opportunity to to marry a really cool benefit that's typically for the home with the workplace. Um, yeah, home internet. We give a home internet allowance, you know, stuff that, that yeah. So, so things like that, things that connect to the home because they're going to be spending some time there. But you, but, but again, you're saying Z and I think I see that too. Interesting enough, I, I think you're spot on. I think it's the millennials that are more wanting to be at home and the Z's are kind of like, no, I kind of want to be around some people, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. That thinking about what was a pivotal moment of their experience coming into the workforce, this pandemic changed their experience. They want to be outside. <laughs> they want to be outside. Or, and by outside, I mean, they want to be outside the home. Got it. You, hey, this was fantastic. I learned a ton. Thank you for your guidance and counsel. Lots of great strategies uh, for people to implement. Thank you so much. And thanks for the work you do. And, and you know, it's been incredible uh, to have you on the show and a pleasure getting to know you. Same. I'm so excited um, about this opportunity to be able to chat with you. I feel like I've learned a lot as well. So thank you so much for the insight that we've gotten in this conversation. For more information about Dr. Yuve Ferguson, please follow her on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.